Welcome to the Be Whole Do Good podcast. We're your hosts, Todd and Ashley Marchant, and this show is about strengthening families through whole being health. At a time when there is so much that can distract, discourage, and disconnect us, our family is on a journey that is led by three core questions. What whole being practices can we implement so every member of our family can have increased capacity, save your life more deeply, and use their gifts to do good? How do we translate and apply what we learn into simple, tiny habits that work amidst the demands of life? And how can we use our increased capacity to better care for others in our family, community, and throughout the world? Each month, our family focuses on one core area of whole being health. We take the biggest challenges we're facing in that area, seek out answers and direction, and do all we can to implement what we learn all the while sharing our journey through this podcast so you can learn and grow alongside us. We joyfully invite you and your family to join us on this whole being health journey. Welcome back to the Be Whole Do Good podcast. This month, our family is focused on strengthening our physical well-being. Most interviews going forward will be Ashley and I together, focused on addressing some of the most pressing and common challenges we face as families. This interview is the last remaining episode I recorded before Ashley and I decided to make this shift. Aligned with our focus on physical well-being this month, I had the chance to visit with sleep researcher and clinician Dr. Wendy Troxell. Sleep has felt so much like our Achilles heel as parents of young children, and I found some very useful insights from Wendy for our family. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So maybe let's go into your your book a little bit or some of your research and and thoughts there and, and sharing the covers as we think about that sense of social connection, as we think about working with our partner to improve sleep, that is very much in my experience, it's very connected that if I'm, I'm, you know, kind of wired and doing the wrong things to prepare for sleep, it affects my, my wife as she is, it affects me. So what, what advice do you have? What, what tips on, on working, you know, with our, our partners to improve our sleep? Yeah, well, it's a, a topic uh, that uh, is near and dear to my heart and that I've spent a lot of time um, and years um, studying. And I was sort of unique in this area to even think about sleep as it occurs in the social context, because most of the history of sleep research has really focused on sleep as this individual and isolated behavior. Well, we now know that, in fact, sleep is interdependent among couples, and most couples do share a bed. Um, and... Um, you know, studies that have looked at couples um, while sleeping, uh, the research shows that about a third of um, partners' movements throughout the night are interdependent or shared. So um, there, there is, whether we like it or not, when we share a bed, this interconnection. And so if your partner is tossing and turning, it is likely having some effect on you and vice versa. Now, that said, there are many, many psychological benefits that many people derive from sharing a bed with a partner. Um, and that goes back to the sort of this concept that I've talked about of feeling safe and secure. Um, that doesn't mean that sharing a bed is for all couples. And in my book, I talk, I, I also try to sort of debunk the myth that sleeping apart is necessarily a bad thing for all relationships. You have to find what works for you as a couple. And that's really my message of this book. And I sort of cover different stages of a couple's life, whether it be having young children or, or older adulthood, um, et cetera. But what the book really focuses on is just how vital sleep is for the quality of our relationships. Drawing from research showing that when we're poorly slept, 
Um, our communication skills suffer, our problem solving skills suffer. Um, we're more prone to conflict. We're less able to hear our partners uh, perspective and, and, and sort of empathize with them. So these are really kind of critical components of a relationship. So the ultimate message of the book is find strategies um, with your partner to talk about this critical third of our lives that we spend asleep. And again, whether you choose as a couple to sleep together or apart, it, it deserves a conversation because sleep is so important to the quality of our relationships. You know, sleep is often sort of this neglected area that occupies a huge amount of time in a couple's lives. Um, and I think when it's never discussed what's working, what's not working, when it comes to our sleep patterns, resentment can build. Let's say one partner you know, naturally is a morning person, wakes up, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but the other partner is more of a night owl. Their schedules are misaligned. And often what happens when there's not a conversation about it, you know, one partner, let's say the night owl, begrudgingly has to just follow the morning person's schedule, which is just not natural to them. And, you know, trying to go to bed too early never wakes, works for anyone if you're trying to go to bed before your natural rhythm tells you you're ready. So that person might lie in bed awake feeling frustrated and ultimately resentful against the partner. So just bringing the topic of sleep to the conversation as a couple, acknowledging how important it is for your mood, your behavior, how you interact with each other, and then finding ways to problem solve and optimize your sleep together as a couple. And that may change throughout your coupled history, right? When you're having young children, you may have certain needs that are different than you know when your children are grown and flown. Um, and I think just bringing sleep into the conversation about the health of your relationship is so critical and often so neglected. Um, so I really wanna change that. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I feel like when you have an opportunity to listen to someone like you talking about it, just that alone gives you gives you this language, this this emphasis to go and have that conversation and to communicate about it. And so thank you for that. I want to go back for a minute. And you you talked about how important this wind-up routine is to prepare mm -hmm. for sleep. And one of my mentors that you know provided a suggestion, he he calls a digital sunset that you know, to me, it was, has been hugely transformative in our sleep, which is just simply as you think about what your wake up time is going to be the next day okay. and, and you work back the amount of sleep that you want to get. So, you know, what time to go to bed okay. that an hour before then you turn all technology off or you put it in a different room or, you know, you do that type of thing. And so, you know, we, in our house don't have, you know, any TVs in our bedrooms. We charge our phones now in, in a, another room. So we had to make a few of these changes, but that, that has been one of the things that has made a big difference for us. I know that there's other things as we think about kind of this wind up routine. Can you share more with us of, of, you know, tips of how to help, uh, approach those that last hour or two before we go to bed to help successfully approach it as a a gradually bringing the plane down rather than crashing it. Yeah, so we have both the wind down routine and the wind up routine, uh, which is the rise technique. So as I mentioned, you know we're too often just sort of racing off to bed, 
giving our brains and bodies little opportunity to settle and unwind. So doing something um, to that is relaxing and pleasurable in the half an hour to an hour before bed, ideally. And if you can't do that, try 15 minutes. Um, and ideally, this is without technology. Um, I've been doing this for a very long time, and I sort you know work with clients as well. And I've learned you, you sometimes have to you know meet your clients where they're at. And I know that there's a strong resistance now to disconnecting from our devices. And um, so sometimes I have, you know, yes, an hour before bedtime would be ideal to disconnect. I know for some that that's an unrealistic goal or it feels unrealistic. So small incremental change, at least giving your, your brain and your body a 15 minute buffer before it hits the pillow um, where it's not being exposed to the light and the stimulation from the content that, um, that that our phones provide. So ha- doing something that's without technology, ideally, that's relaxing, um, could be reading a book, could be cuddling with your partner, could be prayer, uh, could be yoga, um, deep breathing, something that's gonna help um, sort of signal to the body that the world is safe and secure, stimulate the um, parasympathetic ner- nervous system, which is sort of our relaxation response to counter that fight or flight response that we, get when we're sort of racing through our days, you want to do that to bring the plane uh, into a slow descent into the landing. Into landing. By the same token, it's also important to focus on the rise up in the morning because mornings are not everyone's favorite things. Let's be honest. Not everybody's a natural morning person. Um, and I think a lot of people suffer in the morning and that sort of pervades their day if they have a, a bad start to their, their day. And as a sleep researcher, I'm really keen on the notion of starting the day well, because morning really is the start of a successful subsequent night of sleep. First of all, because wake up time is so vital for a good night of sleep. So as your mentor uh, recommended, I would totally agree. Always start with making a consistent wake up time. And then you back up trying to sort of focus on a ideally somewhere around seven to nine hour window of when you want to sleep, that's how you determine your bedtime by backing up from wake up time. But wake up time is very important because it's a really powerful cue to set our internal um, biological clocks or circadian rhythms. When you wake up, you can practice the rise technique, which was developed by a colleague of mine at Berkeley, which involves the, it's an acronym. The R stands for refrain from hitting the snooze. And I love that you use a good old fashioned alarm clock. I do too. There's really no place for the phone in the room. But when the alarm goes off in the morning, hit the snooze button and get out of bed. There's no benefit from, um, you know, continually hitting um, the snooze for those seven minutes of sleep. They really don't give you anything. So hit hit the snooze or the stop button and get out of bed quickly. The next um, stage of the RISE technique is the I for increased physical activity. And by this, I mean do something that's just going to start the blood pumping, maybe a couple of jumping jacks, maybe it's a few squats, or even just briskly walking to the bathroom. The next step, the S, is to splash your face with cold water. Or as some are uh, prone to do right now, is maybe even go the you know uh, really ambitious track of uh, taking a cold shower. It is very refreshing and alerting. Um, but if you don't want to do the cold shower, even just splashing your face with cold water is a great way to wipe off what we call sleep inertia, which is that grogginess you feel first thing in the morning. And the final step is the E, which is expose yourself to sunlight. Sunlight in the morning is so important 
to set our internal biological clocks. It's an alerting signal to the brain. This is the time to be awake and alert. So if you can get outside for 10 minutes, ideally, um, if not longer, or if you don't have exposure to outdoor sunlight, based on when you're waking up or uh, where you are um, in the country, um, it's also a time to expose yourself to a lot of artificial light. So that's a great time to use your phone, use your devices, be in the kitchen or the bathroom. Those are places where, where we typically have the strongest artificial light, though outdoor light is best. I, I love that that connection of realizing that our our night sleep begins with our morning routine. Yeah. And how we handle the morning will actually greatly influence uh, the night. And so to me, it adds an extra double, you know, point of emphasis of value to the morning because it not only affects your whole day, but then it affects your night's sleep, which greatly impacts the next day again. Right. Uh, so and it does go back to this sort of foundational idea. And, and I think moving away from this idea that like sleep is this thing that happens kind of when everything else gets done. No, we, we really need to have this holistic perspective of our 24 hour rhythms. And, you know, morning is to, in many ways gonna dictate what the night looks like. And the night is also going to dictate how you feel and how you function during your day. So we have to stop this sort of artificial um, sort of division of, you know, daytime is for, you know, productivity and functioning and nighttime is this dead space. No, it's really this sort of holistic cycle and rhythm that contributes to our productivity, our well-being, um, and how we feel during the day. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, bringing all this up, I as I'm listening to you, I'm starting to think about times in my life when I've started to realize, and it has dawned on me, that, hey, I'm in that category of, of chronic sleep deprived and I need to make change and I'm starting to see the evidence. And, and I remember a few years ago learning uh, a lot of the scientific research of how impactful my sleep was. And so it began to create almost this sense of pressure, yes. this, this stress about my sleep. And it was counterproductive, you know, mm -hmm. it ended up negatively impacting sleep or, you know, to your point of waking up in the middle of the night and then feeling stressed about being awake and then it being harder to fall asleep or, you know, stressing about how important your sleep is because of the big presentation the next day and then having a harder time falling asleep at night. So I, I wonder if you could just give in, in, I, I think it is helpful to also recognize that as you had mentioned, stress is a part of life, but also we experience life in different seasons mm -hmm. and we all have seasons of life that are a little more stressful or, or we're going through something more traumatic or more difficult. And naturally in many of those times, you know, our sleep may be impacted. Yeah. And so in, in it, with that perspective in mind, when someone has a, a time where maybe they've laid in bed, it feels like they've laid in bed for a long time. Yeah. What advice do you have in that situation? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to, yeah, just comment. It's, it's so important what you just brought up that there is this tension between, you know, as a sleep researcher and someone who really is, you know, out there and wants to disseminate to the public, the importance of sleep and really want to help society move away from our history of undermining the importance of sleep and this idea that, you know, sleep when you're dead, you know, that has, you know, motivated myself and my sleep colleagues to really get the message out there about the consequences of not sleeping. Because for so long, sleep was just neglected, right? You know, you do it when you're dead. 
On the other hand, we're now very much aware that there can, this sort of emphasis on the consequences of not sleeping can put this undue pressure on people. And there is a difference between people who neglect sleep and don't even give themselves the opportunity to sleep and those who lack the ability to sleep or who are actively trying, but simply can't. And when you move into that camp of I'm actively trying and sometimes I can't, that starts to look more like insomnia. And for that category of people, um, and just sort of more generally, as much as you know, I want you to be focused and, and to think about small changes you can make in your life to, to prioritize sleep and optimize sleep, at the same time, constantly sleep, thinking about sleep, worrying about, you know, the consequences of sleep loss. Um, that's not going to improve your sleep because sleep again has to be a state that you fall into when you feel that, you know, the world is safe and secure. If you're feeling that anxiety or pressure around sleep, that's really going to work against you. And I say this to my clients all the time. We'll know that you're better when honestly, like sleep is in the back seat. I don't want you thinking about sleep so much anymore. Here, I'm this, you know, sleep expert, you know, and yes, I think it's very important, but we'll know you're better when sleep happens because you've engaged in, you know, healthy behaviors or following um, the, the behaviors that we talked about, things are starting to align and that anxiety around sleep is diminishing. So that's the first thing. Yes, we all want to do more to prioritize our sleep, but at the same time, recognizing that sometimes we're going to have a bad night of sleep. And sometimes there are seasons of life where some amount of sleep disruption is normal. During those times, whether it be uh, whether you're experiencing loss or bereavement or high stress at work, or you're a parent of a newborn, first of all, mounting you know your social supports, your resources, being proactive about acknowledging this might be a time where I'm you know, going to be depleted because I can't get the sleep I need. How do we use our social supports? One of the best coping resources we have, recognizing it's time limited, right? Like it, there's a difference between a temporary situation specific sleep disturbance and a more chronic sleep problem when we start to look at that as a sleep disorder like insomnia. Um, and I think it's also important for people to recognize, okay, when has this transition from sort of a normative um, reaction to stress that my sleep is temporarily disturbed and what is a true sleep disorder? And one of the important signals to look at is how long you've been suffering from sleep problems. Um, you know, is it months or longer? Is it most nights of week, most nights per week? Are you having significant difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep? And that's having a negative impact on your daytime functioning, whether it be your ability to interact with your family, your productivity at work, your memory, your concentration. Um, or are you having other sleep um, possible symptoms like snoring or gasping for air or needing to nap um, throughout the day, not being able to stay awake? Those are other symptoms that might be signals of an actual sleep disorder. So I think we do need to sort of first sort of recognize pressure to sleep is not going to do anyone any good. So we have to recognize that sleep is important, do the best we can to optimize and prioritize our sleep, but try to minimize that pressure and that effortful work to sleep, because that's not how sleep occurs. And recognizing that sleep disturbances are pretty normal during stressful times, but if they become more lasting or chronic, or you're having other sorts of symptoms that might be indicative of a sleep disorder, 
that's when you go see a professional who uh, specializes in sleep disorders, ideally. And so it's really distinguishing sort of, you know, we all sleep. So sometimes everybody's sleep issues get lumped into one. There is a clinical set of sleep issues that's quite different from sort of the normal, no, normative sleep patterns and sort of normative disruptions that people have throughout the seasons of life. So I think distinguishing that is really important. Oh, this has been such a helpful conversation, Wendy. So much helpful perspective and insight and just truly rooted again in the authenticity of life. And so I'm grateful for your perspective. I think one of the key takeaways for me is is just how you've emphasized, you know, safe and secure. Mm-hmm. That as, as I think about a guiding principle for how I want to use my time at night as I prepare for sleep, what are the things that can help me feel safe and secure. Or if I'm laying in bed, can't fall asleep, it's usually because there's something on my mind that is impeding that feeling. So maybe it's worth getting up and doing something that resolves to some level to a point of feeling safe and secure, even if it's writing some of those thoughts down on paper and getting them out of me. And so again, I'm I'm really grateful for your perspective and uh, for our community that has just resonated with your message today, where where can they find you? Uh, thank you. Uh, well, yes, it's been such a pleasure for me too. I just do want to say safety and security is also sort of the cornerstone when I think about what I look for um, and what sustains me in my relationships. And so I think th- those are great sort of uh, sort of touch points for us to think about, about sort of, you know, when it comes to our sleep, how vital these things are, but also um, our connections with others. That's what we really want in our connections with others. In terms of how to find me, um, I'm on Twitter at Wendy Troxel. Instagram is sharing the covers, the title of my book. My book is certainly out there. I also have a website, my name, wendytroxel.com. Um, and uh, uh, I do lots of uh, media interviews. And so you'll I, you'll see me around. But uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, wonderful. Look forward to continue collaborating with you, Wendy. Thanks for listening to part two of this interview with Dr. Wendy Troxel. If you found it helpful, I invite you to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. As a new podcast, each review makes a huge impact. Also, with the shift Ashley and I have made to lead, be, hold, do good together with a focus on strengthening families, we could not be more excited about some support options we'll be soon releasing. If you desire to be a more mindful parent, to have your family practice greater compassion for yourselves and each other, and to establish a family culture of continually becoming more whole and doing good, then you won't want to miss what will be released soon. To be kept up to date, simply head on over to beholdogood.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter at the bottom of our homepage. We are so grateful to be on this journey of whole being health with you. Have a wonderful day.